Hi, and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. My name is Dawn, and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni, the fastest growing professional network of current and future care and education practitioners. You can join us for free at cashalumni.org.uk and get access to articles from subject specialists, careers advisors, access to job vacancies, and our member benefits scheme. Really excited um, to be able to have a conversation today um, with Tracy Walters, um, who actually is a very experienced um, careers advisor and now works with an organisation called CareerWave. Um, and CareerWave are the organisation who provide the careers information and guidance articles that you'll find within Cash Alumni. Um, Hiya Tracy, can you tell people a little bit about your I've been working in the career guidance sector probably since I think about 1994, so quite a while now, seeing being through a few decades of change uh, with career guidance. I qualified as a careers advisor in the mid-1990s and worked mainly in schools. Started to work with our company, CareerWave. We wanted to, to be working with more schools. We wanted to be the leading career guidance company in the Northeast, which I think we probably are. <laughs> I dare say so myself um, and we we wanted to, to work with more skills and but we also wanted to build it into a proper career service so taking the best practice of what we'd seen in County Durham because obviously you know there are there were, there were poor practices and as there are everywhere and we wanted to kind of work on what we knew worked and take that into a new era of careers with the Gatsby benchmarks and um, We've gone from about eight schools a couple of years ago and, you know, the last count, you know, I think we were up to about, about 27. So it's, it's, it's gone really well and that's only been in, the, in a couple of years. Um, and we also grew the training side of the business. So now we also deliver the level three, the level four, the level six guidance qualifications, which qualify professionals to be career guidance professionals. Um, so we've got a few learners, we're contracting with Durham County Council, we've got curriculum programmes that we've been writing, schools are using our programmes to deliver. Things have changed and gone back to a place where really we're looking at proper person-centred careers advice. Um, it's not necessarily anymore about what's going to be better for the school um, or better for the university or whoever you know is currently responsible for that learner. And, and we're heading back to a place where careers advice is genuinely about that individual, that person, and helping them to get the best out of themselves and their future. It's grounded in psychology, it's grounded in counselling, it's grounded in psychotherapies. You know, you can make a lot of, there's a lot of alignment with those kind of other professions with career guidance. The way I saw it kind of going in the early 2000s, as I say, into 2010, it, in my opinion, although Connections in itself was a good idea and they were tackling you know, barriers to progression. It just meant that the career guidance side, this the, the sort of specialist side was maybe diluted. And I, I think now it's it's coming back to where it, where it should be. And it is a, it's a valued profession. We at CareerWave, we very much believe in protecting the integrity of the profession. Uh, we employ all of our staff um, and we treat them like they are careers professionals and we also develop our staff as, as well. So, and it's just kind of making sure that we, what we're delivering is a quality guidance process for, for young people. And what you said, it's it's about the young person. Is there still that strange thing of, I suppose there being a, a university first idea as to what progression should look like for a learner who is maybe in sixth form or yes. coming towards the end of their GCSEs, you know, really this is the route you should take because ideally you'll go to university 
and if you can't go to university then these options are open to you or do you think we're looking more at a world where learners have a little bit more freedom to to choose a path that actually suits their own learning style and their, their future well it's funny you should say that dogs i've really been reflecting on that lately i don't know if the covid19 thing has made a big difference to to the way that we value careers and the way that what what value we put on what is a, a good career if that makes sense so i think i was guilty of it you know i think that it through the through the years we've always been about raising aspirations which is great however we've got to be really careful as practitioners not to define that aspiration as something that's aligned to a university degree or a, pay, a highly paid job because i think what we've learned over the last three months is that actually the value in careers has been those that are traditionally being lower paid lower skilled and I've, now it's really changed my i suppose outlook on how i value a career and just yesterday actually i was interviewing in school because well, we are back in school i will talk about that in a second we're back to some degree and um i was talking to a year 10 student who was grades eights and nines across the board I mean, we're talking from art right the way through to science here. This, this, this young person was high, high grades, very academic. I think the old careers advisor in me would have been saying, right, okay, this is a pre-plan, you know, we're going to do A-levels, we're going to uni, you know, this is where you'll kind of head up. Um, and she actually wanted to be a hairdresser. And that, I think the old advisor in me would have been challenging that and kind of, and although I am there to kind of say, okay, hairdressing, brilliant you know let me tell me why you want to do that and what what interests you about it for all i know this could be the next Vidal Sassoon you know and, and be really entrepreneurial and be fun to, you know and absolutely love their life yes. um and i had to kind of like uh, you do have to kind of change tack a little bit and go okay i know i've got to make sure that young person's aware of all of their options and, and what their potential might be but i've also got to acknowledge the fact that their potential might well be in hairdressing you know um, my background is, a, is in a little bit of career advice because I work for Connections Direct um, and then moved into working in employability and working with people who it was more that barrier side and removing yeah. the, the, the things that were stopping people from getting where they wanted to be. But from a personal perspective rather than as an advisor given advice perspective, I was directed towards university because yeah. I'm dead academic and I finished my degree and I got my degree but I hated every minute of it and it isn't actually what the right thing for me would have been. Um, I could have really done with taking some time to decide what I actually wanted to do rather than going to university and studying a degree that really didn't tick me boxes. Um, but because I was going to be the first person in my family to go to university and to get a degree and that's what school told us I wanted. Yeah. And actually what I found was that that stopped me from getting where I wanted to be because now when I did discover what it was that I wanted to do for the rest of my life, I couldn't go and do that degree anymore because I already had one and I couldn't get a student loan. That idea that actually if I'd gone into the workplace or if I had been able to explore vocational education and looking at social care and all of the things that I was really interested in, I might have gotten where I wanted to be in terms of being able to help and support people. We've got to be very conscious, I think, about 
you know, it goes back to kind of career theory. What you're talking about there, Don, is, is the old type of career guidance theory, which was very much like square pegs, square holes, rams, but, you know, that kind of approach, a very matchy-matchy feel. And although I still think that has a place in guidance, you know, in terms of somebody's personality and making sure that they're closely aligned, like values and things to to a, to a particular career, I think that does have a place in career guidance, that it's, it's a little bit, it is much broader than that. You talked a little bit about... Um way that we might value jobs differently um now that we've been through this huge national crisis um or that we're currently going through this huge national crisis um and we've sort of looked at it we've been forced to look at the labor landscape and the way that work works and reevaluate what is useful and helpful and a good job um and what is nice to have but not really necessary um what, what do you think the main changes with that might be going forward do, do, do you think that we might see roles like teaching roles and roles within care and early years education those sort of embedding stages change do you think that they might become more valued it's how people value those careers i think professionals you know, it, it's kind of been a tradi- it, it's been more stereotyped about there were low level, low skilled, not all of them, but the value maybe wasn't as high as what it should have been. And I think what I've certainly seen is although those careers were always popular, they've always been popular with young people. You know, before COVID-19, health and social care, childcare, very popular career choice. But I think what I'm seeing now is the influence of what's been happening over the last three months has really tuned people in to those career you know more people into those kind of careers and think well actually because they've been exposed to it i'm a big believer in career i call it exposure theory i don't think there is one out there but i've just named it and i say that the more we cover what we see you know to some degree and that what people have seen over the last three months particularly young people because they've had no choice but to see it because they've been in the house and they've watched the tv they've seen a lot of health and social care and the clapping for carers, you know, on a Thursday and the acknowledgement that people are giving and that can only make them stick their chests out and think, actually, I want a bit of this. You know, I could do, I could do this. And I think it has, and going back into school now, only the last couple of weeks, it has made a difference, I think, and young people are considering, you know, even though it was popular to start with, I think it's only really embedded that. And I just hope that whoever dishes out the money, like the government, will increase the kind of the, the labour market opportunities in those kind of areas. I think we have to, don't we? I mean, I think health and social care has only got to grow and this has proved it. Again, these statistics are off the top of my head, but there were still somewhere around 100,000 unfilled vacancies in care and about the same, if not more, in early years education. So there were both sectors that, although there are lots of young people who choose to go and study those qualifications in further education or choose to go and do apprenticeships, there was already a huge gap in terms of supply and demand for those professions. So as we see the population sort of change demographics um, and that we're still heading towards um, obviously being a very top heavy um, population in terms of the amount of people requiring care versus the amount of working age people able to provide that care, there are only going to be more vacancies going forward. I think what we need to get better at in the careers sector is to broaden young people's 
aspirations and broaden their their minds when it comes to almost like a boundaryless career that careers aren't don't have a boundary around them anymore and you know the chances are even if somebody it's like you know the other day with this hairdresser even if she wants to be a hairdresser there's nothing stopping her going setting up her own catering business at the same time it's not a one track anymore there's no kind of one ladder into it into a, it's not a job it's it's more of a life journey i think and, and people change over time i, I think, think that's um, evidenced by the fact that we are both people who have at some point had the job title of careers advisor because there is no single person i've ever spoken to as an advisor who when i've asked them wanted what they want to do for a living they've said oh i want to be a careers advisor please it's something that we've sort of stumbled across in my career and it's 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 been that journey into it that has created that opportunity for her because it'll be the things that we did before that that led to that thing. It's the happenstance theory where it's kind of like uh, rather than a career being a sort of one track and like a, almost like a ladder which it probably was in the, the, the last couple of decades um, it's more like crazy paving I say, and I say that to young people don't expect this to be a kind of one ladder approach you are looking now at crazy paving and I said I think in terms of my role and this is what I said to, to try and explain to them what my role is because sometimes they come to the interview, you know, and they'll go, this is a college interview, isn't it? And I'm like, no, it's not a college interview. I don't work for a college. You know, it's trying it's to get... It's amazing the amount of people who I would speak to who would come to a careers guidance appointment and expect you just to tell them what they were going to do. Even just this week, I mean, they, they came into the... Uh, one of them came in and I said, so what are you expecting from this? You know, do you know why you're here? And, and she said, uh, it's a college interview. And I went... No, no, it's not a college interview. I says, why Why do you think it's a college interview? And she said, because my teachers just told me you've got to go for your college interview. And I thought, oh, you know, here we are again, kind of, we need to get that message out about what actually career guidance is. And I think sometimes as career guidance professionals, we're still kind of um, have that legacy of the old Robbie Williams, you know, where he said, my careers teacher said I would never be. And I think, well, that's not fair, you know, and, and we're, that's not what we're trained to do. We're not there to tell people what to do. We're there to listen. We're trained listeners, you know, that's what we do. And I almost describe myself to young people now as I'm a bit like the sat-nav lady. Um, and you're like driving the car. <laughs> and it's about, this is where crazy paving comes in. I says, you might not go straight ahead. You might go left. Then you might go straight ahead. Then you might go right. You might even go backwards again. You know, I says, it will feel like that over the course of your life because it is a journey that you're on. And it's, you know, it's all about this kind of, you, when you're fully satisfied, you know, that is when you've kind of reached in and achieved and fulfilled potential. But that can go on and on and on. There is no kind of definitive self-actualization anymore, I don't think. Do you think that employers are starting to recognise that? Um, I think historically there have been, uh, there's, there's been a delay in that sort of recognition of transferable skills reaching employers, um, where I know, for example, in care, um, that things have changed a lot um, and that there used to be a sort of a dismissive attitude almost towards people who had experience of caring for family members. but didn't have a qualification or things and I know that obviously value-based recruitment within health and social care has made a huge difference on that front and it is more about who you are as a person and what you can provide to people on a personal level and, and giving yourself to them as part of that day-to-day -day care as opposed to the qualification because that can be taught. Do you think that's the same across other sectors where we're starting to see the value of people's skill set? 
and their, their, their previous job roles and what that can bring in terms of insight or fresh thought or thinking and that those transferable skills are being more widely recognised. I think that in most sectors, yes, I can't obviously speak for every single sector, but of the sectors that I know about, and particularly health and social care and childcare, as you know, I've done a series of careers interviews with employers who are actually recruiting staff, and every single one of them has put the skills and the mindset as far above qualifications, and because they can teach those, and skills you can teach, to be fair, skills you can actually teach, qualifications you can teach, but the attitude and that kind of personality-driven mindset is what makes the key difference, I think, when it comes to particularly the health and social care and childcare sectors. And it's what you said there about the value-based recruitment. The more employers bring in that kind of value-based sort of key principles and code of ethics and things, behaviours, if you like, with another word you could say. Yes, you can you can show a transfer of those skills from anything, whether you've been looking after somebody at home to then putting it into a workplace setting. So I, th- I do think, yeah, Yes, I, I would think employers. I tell you where I, I, I what what I still think we've got though is a bit of a disconnect between educators and employers. And I'm thinking more like, and this is not the fault of schools, the pressure that they have on them is about the curriculum and about the qualifications and results. And there maybe isn't as much kind of put into that how important is your attitude and how important are your values and where does this kind of link to careers because believe me i think it's i don't think it's the employees you need to convince i think you need to bring it more back into the into the curriculum and i think with with your sector i mean the thing is with health and social care and childcare, i just wish i think that it's this exposure thing and i think it's getting the young people sometimes they do come in with this perception that there are only two roles or maybe three roles in health and social care, or four roles, I'm, I'm going, so you've got nursery nurse, teaching, doctor nurse, social worker. Yeah. And they do not see um, how wide ranging that potentially could be, you know, in terms of the profession, not even just the professions allied to medicine, when you show them the NHS careers website, they are literally gobsmacked. Yeah, and even within that very pure social care bit, you know, that people see that ground level stuff, they see the hard work and the the people stuff that they need to do to do the hands-on care role as a care assistant. And I don't think that there's a lot of push um, on actually the careers once you're in that sector. You know, you, you can earn a lot of money working within health and social care if you climb a ladder or if you do you choose certain routes and do different bits of career stuff um it's just that for most people who go into that profession Mm. that's a side effect rather than the aim does Mm. that make sense that that people tend to go into care for different reasons than to make a lot of money it's a bit like getting somebody in year 11 and this is quite a common one as well they they want to do childcare or nurse they think nursery nursing to be honest that's what that they think childcare is nursery nursing yeah, and, and um, I think there is a disconnect between what people think yeah. of as childcare and early years education, yes. which actually in our country is, is actually the thing. You don't put your children at childcare, you put them into early years education and they start their development in, in terms of learning things and yeah. developing their motor skills and doing all of that awesome stuff that early years practitioners do. And, and I think that is one of the positives of the current situation is that people are realising that it's not just babysitting and that there is a huge skill set behind it. 
and where could it lead? And, and I think giving them actual examples, real case studies of people who are like, both of my friends, for example, worked in painted nursery nursing, but now one of them is um, very high up in social services. You know, she's a social worker, she works in child protection. The other one's now working with domestic violence, you know, having worked in foster care and things like that. So where they've actually ended up is probably not where they thought they would be at 16. You know, they thought nursery nursing and that would be it. When actually, once they, once you get into that and you sort of see the variety of things that, where this could lead, then it's like that exposure theory, isn't it? The more that you see, the more that you aspire to be. That's how I kind of see it. And I think sometimes we've just got to reassure young people in school because of the age they are, they haven't seen all of this yet. And I think one of the things that's probably going to disadvantage year 10, who are now going into year 11, is the fact that they've now lost a whole term and in that term traditionally year 10 would go out on um, tasters and I've noticed going back into school now they have because they haven't had those tasters they don't they haven't even seen the inside of a college or the inside of a sixth form or even what it's like in the workplace because some of the health and social care students in my local school would have had a week's taster in a childcare environment and I, I, I've said to the kid, I've said to the students, look, if you really, you know, what I would do if I were you is go and do a virtual open day, even if it's just a virtual open day, just to just go into the college and have a look, and do your open evenings, and obviously, but I, I do wonder what impact this is going to have on their career decision making for next year for when they actually leave school. I just hope that as career guidance professionals, we can get back into school, into all schools in some way, shape or form, you know, whether it's going to be, we'll be part, we might be part of the year 11 bubble. I mean, we started off by talking about what the, how we're going to be working in the next year or so. Good careers advisors are quite good at debate and thinking about um, not just winning conversations, which I think a lot of people do, is when you're having a conversation with someone about something that you disagree with, it's easy to get sucked into just trying to win that conversation and sort of bring people over to your way of thinking. Whereas I think because we have to put ourselves in other people's shoes quite a lot and look at what their circumstances are and why they might feel the way that they feel, that even with really big and meaty issues like all of the stuff that's being discussed at the minute around COVID and social distancing, around the Black Lives Matter campaign and all of the stuff that's going on in society in general about jobs and um, the way that we value people. I think that what people could take from advice and guidance professionals is that ability to go, ooh, I don't like your opinion. Why do you feel that way? What is it? that makes you think that? What circumstances have you had in your life that makes you believe that? Is there something that I've missed? Rather than, no, you're wrong, this is why. Does that make sense? There's a lot, when you, the way you've described it there, Donna, that it's, it's, there's a lot of similarities, isn't there, between the sec, the career guidance sector, actually, and the health and social care and the childcare sector, isn't there? There is a lot, because everything you've described there is whenever I've done careers interviews with health and social professionals, they've always came out with that being a, a core skill and being able to empathise, yeah, <laughs> you know, and see it from other yeah. people's point of view and, and, and kind of being able to demonstrate that to get into those kind of careers is really, really critical. So I think we're in the same, we are in that kind of family of jobs, I guess. But in, te- in moving forward, you know, with, with our company, um, obviously getting back into schools, I think we're going to see a mixed bag between September and 
possibly Christmas, maybe even into the new year. So that's why Career Wave have recently secured some new premises. What we've got to try and work on from a career guidance point of view is to make sure that we can offer a remote or a virtual service. Some schools have kind of come back to us and said, look, we don't know yet whether you're going to, externals are going to be allowed in. We just, we just don't know. So can you have an alternative method of delivering guidance? And there are alternative methods. I don't think personally, I think face to face it will always be the best. If, if I'm honest, I think that's the way it is. The next best thing would be a kind of a Teams meeting, which would be a, a, like a Skype approach, video video approach. That would be the next best thing. However, that's kind of riddled with um, safeguarding issues. And we've got to also not just safeguard the young person, but safeguard our staff. You've also got a couple of other things as well, though, Tracy. I think you've got that you're on video with a young person, then and it's being recorded. Then there's also that safety for them in knowing yes. that they've got that advice they've got a copy of that recording so they can review it when they want to but also that the advice that they've been given was good enough to be a recording it's quality quality assurance is going to be there as well um but actually i think having a copy of that and being able to to review it later on and look back at it and go oh i didn't take that bit in at the time because i was actually thinking about what they were saying about this I do think there is going to be something in this and I do think I wonder if this virus has forced us into a different way of working and a safe and ironically I'd say a safer way of working because forensically that can be videoed and you know you can use it for staff development for quality assurance the young person's got a copy of it but I, I tried it last week with a school um with a, 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 a young girl at home but her mum was there as well and we'd agreed this with the school and everything. We gave it a trial run and you know what? It was brilliant. It worked really, really well. The parents, which, you know, years ago we used to invite parents into crazy interviews, but, but we don't anymore. And um, we know the parents are a massive influence on people's, you know, young people's decision making. And uh, the parent was actually there with me. So she kind of got the careers interview as well. Yeah. And at the end I'd said, so, you know, how did you find that? And she went, and she says, you know what? That was not what I was expecting. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. And you know, when you start like unpick it and she, she said, oh, that was just really good. I didn't even know there were this many options and I didn't understand what this was. And, and you know, like, I think it's really important because when you talk about how parents are a huge influence on young people, I think that obviously one of the benefits of moving careers advice and guidance so that young people are on their own with a careers advisor does open up conversations that might not be possible in front of parents for young people to explore things maybe that parents don't want them to explore or it puts you in that position where actually they're not as self-conscious sometimes about doing what their parents want them to do in terms of exploring that advice. On the other side, I think that what it's done is take away some of the challenge that parents might have faced where if a parent wants a young person to pursue something that isn't what they want or isn't in their interests, whether it's not something they're interested in or it's just not what's in their best interest by not allowing parents into careers interviews they then stopped getting the advice and the guidance and the actual conversation with that guidance tutor who could maybe say well actually this is what this person wants to do and this is how we can get them there and this might be the best option for them because x y and z and this route way might not suit them because of Mm-hmm. would move that so what was happening was that young people would get careers advice and guidance and they'd talk about the thing they really want to talk about and they'd plan their perfect career route 
but then they'd go home and not be able to talk about that any further and mum and dad would just make the decision for them and they'd go and follow what mum and dad wanted them to do. I think actually including parents is a great idea because it continues the ability to have that conversation once you get home but also gives parents maybe an awakening as to why their plan's not the best one. Exactly, and I think, that, but who knows, this might be the way we have to work because of the virus, that we have to do things with a parent present and online, um, and I know it works because I've done it, I did it, I do, I've done it, and it worked really, really well. I'm not saying it would always work well, you know, because we, we, we rely on technology, and, you know, I've got my you know, internet sort of hardwired now, you know, it's not like I'm using Wi-Fi, but that's one of the reasons why we've got premises, because we thought, well, we, an advisor would always have some, and also the advisor, the careers advisor would also have a number, another the member of staff there i just think that um and i've you know what i've quite enjoyed using teams and things um i never thought i'd say that i didn't you asked me that three months ago and i'd be like what but i actually i've actually yeah. enjoyed it yeah me too i've enjoyed it i think for me it's opened up there's been things that would previously have been phone calls that are now face-to-face conversations like this me and you wouldn't ever have the opportunity to have a face-to-face meeting on a wednesday afternoon about nice chatty talky things because we've all the, the, the travel involved and all the other stuff it just wouldn't have been able to happen mm-hmm. and if we had this conversation we wouldn't have been able to see each other because we would have just defaulted to the phone i've tried doing the guidance over the phone we've done that as well and that's fine but it's not as effective i wouldn't have said as, as face to face i don't think you get as good an idea not just of that other person and their personality that the person that you're advising i don't think you get to know as much of them on the phone as you do when it's by body language, which is a key. Yeah, they don't get as much of you either, so there isn't that sort of building. I think for me, what I've really enjoyed about Teams as well is that I've really enjoyed being able to be in my colleagues' houses, and I know that sounds really weird and creepy, but (laughs) I don't mean it that way, I just mean that... Because it gets you to know them a bit better. You feel like you know them a bit Yeah, I understand. Being able to share a little bit more of me you know like I am quite a flamboyant and weird person but in a business context you dress a certain way you present yourself a certain way you know you need to be sorted you need to look like you know what you're doing and actually people being in my house means that they do get to see a little bit more of who I am and my love of horror films and you know the musical instruments that are strewn around the house and the sort of other less analytical and a little bit more weird and creative that that I don't showcase as often. Totally agree, I couldn't agree with you more Dawn, I mean career wave of um, we've had a few sort of important means you know on teams and things over the last few weeks with professionals within schools and it's um, normally as you see you'd walk into like a boardroom sort of atmosphere and they'd all be suited and booted and now I put teams on and it was like they all had the hoodies on and it was like this, I thought they're normal people you know this is just and I just think yeah you get a bit of a it, it has kind of drawn you into a bit of more of an insight of people's what's inside people's four walls I guess it will continue I don't I think even when things get back to in inverted commas normal if it ever will I think we'll still be we'll do more stuff like this now anyway I think we might be looking at guidance as being more blended yeah think? And I, think, I think everything will change I think that we will stop seeing people traveling as much for work I can't imagine going to conferences um, being a thing necessarily it, it, yeah. there'll be a lot more online support in that sort of on demand rather than waiting for once a year for everyone to get together they'll yeah. I think that we'll start to, I think we'll see a change in university education and that there'll be a lot more distance learning available and online delivery and stuff where people aren't necessarily having to commute places 
Um, one of the things I'd really like to see happen that I'm not sure is going to is at the beginning of this pandemic, I was really, really excited for the possibilities um, for people with disabilities or who need flexible work and start work for mm-hmm. care responsibilities, whether that's for family or for people that they, they care for, who are like sort of friends and, and things like that, is that when we all started working from home and companies started mm-hmm. saying, matter how many hours you do or it doesn't matter when you do your hours just as long as you're doing your thing like I was really really hopeful that we're going to see a more accessible society um do you not think I don't think it's going to work out like that um as things are starting to reopen and shops are putting social distancing measures in place and everything none of them take into account people with disabilities or people who can't stand for very long or people not being able to walk around a one-way system or who might not be able to use an alcoholic hand sanitizer because they're recovering from something that means that you know soaking alcohol into your skin is a bad idea. You know what Tony that is absolutely so insightful because and you've opened my eyes because I don't think I've thought of it in that kind of way and you've made me think of it, you're absolutely right. I think it makes me really sad that we've been through this sort of three month experience that has taught people a lot about, you know, how easy it is to feel like out of a loop and, you know, that we can do things more flexibly and to benefit people who need that sort of, but then when we're going back to normal, when not any of those lessons forward necessarily but even even the flexible approaches that we put in place in the last three months as you've just said now that I'll, now that i look back it hasn't really been inclusive in terms of disabled people as you say even just the one-way system there are periods of my life where i've been housebound or i've had a disability that's meant that i haven't been able to walk very well or that there's been stuff i've had to think about that i might not have had to otherwise it's hard to understand things that we've never had to contemplate so if I'd never had the experiences that I'd had with disability I would never consider that someone might not be able to walk up and down aisles of a supermarket necessarily because that seems like such an everyday and normal thing to do Mm -hmm. but there have been huge parts of my life where I couldn't have walked up and down all of the aisles that I needed to in a supermarket you know there's a reason that Tesco started putting garden chairs around their shop so people could have a little bit of a sit down then obviously they're not there anymore because you know. I went to the metro centre for the first time on Sunday with my mum and my mum's in her 70s and she you know she she, she she can't stay on her feet for that length of time you know it's, when you get to a certain age she does need to sit down and have a coffee and things and I think we were still expecting them to be the, the chairs to be outside of the shops you know what I mean so we could yeah. not one chair and she, what is it you know like how much consideration has been to what happens with you know shop mobility and people who need to borrow equipment because actually an electric wheelchair you're looking at a grand and a half and people can't necessarily afford that so if they can't just sit down every few you know hundred meters like and they're not going to go exactly and they can't borrow it because you're not going to be able to just like pick up the next scooter that's come back because it's going to have to be disinfected and mm. i just as i say i think there's been a missed opportunity a little bit on the I agree. In the world, front when we look at that stuff, but hopefully that'll all start to filter back in. I did, I did feel a bit sad when we started opening things back up again. And when you had an opportunity, when there was an opportunity there, it's a massive opportunity. I think. Yeah, I know. Oh, what a sad thing to say at the end. Tell us something else to cheer us up. Tell us <laughs> if if you were going to tell our audience anything about careers and face and games, what what is it that you'd want them to know? I think I'd want them to um, look at the, what the, the power of guidance 
and how much it's um, how well trained we are and to kind of like get the I suppose it's almost like a, a shout out to the profession you know that we are a professional um, body you know we are we we know what we're doing <laughs> we're not just the, that you know, the career's wifey the career's blokey that we used to get caught you know in the 90s we are professionals we're well trained we're highly trained and we listen and um it is kind of up there with uh, i want to say i want to kind of want to say we are change we can change people's lives with the facilitators of imaginative thinking um and that kind of goes with that boundaryless career sort of notion of that career i want people to take away this crazy paving idea you know that we're there to help with career management skills and, and not just about giving them some entry routes into an occupation. Once people have sort of gotten that idea and they're starting to embed that and they want to know more, where can they find Career Wave if they wanted to, to find out where you are so they can follow you or find out a little bit more about where else they might want to go to explore? I suppose the logical place to be to start would be our website um, which is www.careerwave.com .co.uk and uh, we have a lot of things on our website. Our website's actually been praised quite a lot amongst the career guidance sector in that we have a section in there called insights and I always say to our clients you don't need to google just go to our website we've done all the work for you so in, in our website we've got things like um research pods and there's a learning zone on there where we've got kind of resources it's very very easy to navigate because obviously you haven't been through websites myself i know how easy it is to get down the rabbit warrens and things this is very easy to navigate and if you want to get in touch with us there's a little contact us section on there as well with a little form and we'll we'll get in touch pretty much straight away we will include the link to the website and to CareerWave social media in the show notes for this episode. So if anybody wants to, um, if anyone hasn't got a pen, just want to write that down or doesn't want to necessarily look at where else to find the information from the audio, if you click into the episode description, wherever it is that you're listening, you'll find all of those links um, and say to the social media as well so that you can find CareerWave online. I just want to say thank you um, for your time um, and for thank being you. with me this afternoon. Um, it's been lovely talking to you um, and I could talk to you for the rest of the day i think it's a bit, it's a bit you're a kindred spirit dawn because i think you you know you've got very similar um very similar uh, skills i think and because you've been you've been through that kind of guidance process yourself as a professional i think it, it's uh, it's been a very very natural conversation to have so thank you very much for having us it was lovely to see you and i look forward to catching up with you again soon yeah, thanks, and thanks to you at home we hope you enjoyed this episode of podcast don't forget, for more great content tailored to everyone in the care and education sectors, you can join our membership network, cashalumni.org.uk. It's free to join and you'll get access to articles from subject specialists, careers advice, job vacancies and our member benefits scheme. If you'd like to feature on a future episode of Podcash, please get in touch with us through the contact details on the Cash Alumni website. Until next time, take care.